When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. How has Zorb football not taken off during COVID? You haven't won a trophy. You've won promotion. I've seen him twice, Timmy Mallet. He opened up the Millgate Shopping Centre. Oh, really? This isn't a podcast. Think you'll find. This is a business meeting. You leave Ryan Reynolds alone. He's been through a lot this season. Can't wait for them to have to act that out on the charades round of a question of sport. Half-time bullseye, why not? Or could you win a speedboat? Forgot Les Parry took charge. I've got a pair of his shorts upstairs somewhere. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Eternally Game Podcast, here with myself, Jimmy, and we've got a very special guest tonight, because dear listener, we do a lot of talking, as you know, on this podcast, but tonight we are just as much a listener as you are. We are here to learn um, a little bit about, well, as we know, it is home. We didn't specify which year or gender, but now it is home. England have won the Women's Euros, and it was honestly one of the best games I've watched in a long time. Um, what do we all think? Do we all watch the game Sunday? What do we make of it, ladies and gents? Yeah, it was brilliant. Me and Shell watched it. It was fantastic. It was just really nerve-wracking. The last half an hour, I was like, oh, are we going to do it? Are we not? Germany have never lost the final. All these statistics were being thrown into the commentary about, oh, they've never done this. England can't do that. They're like, oh. And then, well, we did it in the end, didn't we? We did it. Similar to you, Greg, I, I sat and watched it. Um, really exciting final. Had absolutely everything in that you could possibly ask for. Um, extra time winner, obviously. Uh, some of the Tramia fans listening will know exactly what that feels like down at Wembley. Um, and just to kind of see, obviously going back to the, the men's final against Italy, and there was that kind of um, disappointment and that kind of, you know, the big build-up and it just not quite happening. And it was just fantastic to see an England side getting themselves over that final hurdle, as you were saying there. Some of the, the comments that the press were saying about, you know, uh, Germany had never lost a final, X, Y and Z. And it was it was almost waiting for that moment to happen and it never quite came um, or never quite come. Um, and just great to see England do it, get over the line and, and bring it home. Um, we've also got, obviously, as Jimmy said earlier on, a very special guest with us this evening. Um, Bethan was actually down at Wembley, so I don't know whether you could share a little bit of, of what you saw and heard and felt while you were down there, Bethan. Absolutely, Deck. Um, it was amazing. It was unreal. To see, well, to have gone from being a position where we were handing out tickets a few years ago to try and get bums on seats and to get people watching the women and be interested in the women's game, um, to be sat, you know, second tier surrounded by over 87,000 fans was an incredible experience. And to see kind of the diversity within the audience as well, you know, typically there's been um, young children and families at the event, whereas, you know, the final was all, you know, it was men, it was women, it was young children, it was teenagers, it was, you know, it was people of, of all communities and backgrounds and it was, yeah, Fantastic. To have been able to witness that was uh, something quite special, to be fair. Outstanding. And I think it's been well publicised, obviously, by the press and people on social media as to just how special that atmosphere was. Not just the winning atmosphere, but obviously the behaviour of the fans in the build-up to the game, after the game. And it, it just had 
take the result out of it for a minute. It had everything that a final should have. Um, and I feel like the people in attendance there rep- both represented the nations in, in what can only be described as an impeccable manner. Um, what we're going to do for the listeners now, um, obviously some of our long-term listeners will kind of know uh, the panel and a little bit about our background from some things that we've said, but I'm going to pass you over. I think we'll go to Jimmy first, um, and we're just going to kind of introduce ourselves a little bit in terms of our background in terms of sport, whether it be as a supporter, someone who's involved in it, um, and then obviously we'll we'll build back to you in a couple of minutes, Bethan, and, and get you to kind of talk about your background, obviously um, in sport in general, as well as the women's game, obviously building up to what you do currently. So I'll pass you over to Jimmy. Um, try not to bore everyone to death, Jimmy, but your your kind of participation or your kind of experience within sport. Yeah, as you know, I met you through education. I taught primary school for nine years, which, you know, I got, you know, aboard so many people that I left, um, including you, clearly, because you stayed in touch. But my phone's off the hook this week, admittedly, not, you know, for any nefarious means, but because I've had parents asking, because I um, coached the four year, uh, the ages four, five and six at West Kerry United, real little children, and the amount of parents that want to have their young girls come and join us on the 7th of September. I mean, we are... First off, I will say we're very inclusive. We do have a lot of girls come and join us and play alongside the lads. A lot of them are better than the lads as well. Let's just put it out there. We've had that for many years. We do also have a girls' team on the Sunday, which they've got the option of joining if they wish to. But, you know, they're so young, it, it doesn't really matter. They're, as long as they're enjoying playing football with whoever, it does make a difference. And we love to see it. We get as many girls involved. And more importantly, get as many uh, of the parents, the mums involved. We've had mums and grandparents get involved with the coaching side of it as well, which is a big thing as our remit as a grassroots charity run club um so my phone's been busy all week we've come a daughter come and join she's four she's five and we come in september which you know we would get the odd girl but i think we've had 10 12 requests this week and we usually only get like three in a year so the impact straight away we've seen from what's happened has been absolutely phenomenal and i'm just so proud that the game in the women's game is taking off the way it is now especially at such a young age so that's my kind of background into it, really. Outstanding, Jimmy, and it, it's really good to hear. Um, obviously, we'll go a little bit into the legacy and, and what kind of impact we're expecting the last week's events to to have in the short term and long term, but it's fantastic to hear that, obviously, there, there has been, just in the, the very immediate term, some kind of impact as well. Um, Greg, can I, can I hand over to you? I don't really have a sporting background in anything, really. I'm, I'm just a graphic designer, so uh, I am a Rochdale fan for my sins. You won Tiddlywinks once. I've been watching Rochdale since about 20-odd years. used to give away free tickets to high schools. I don't know if they still do that these days, or primary schools. Do they still give the tickets to other club, like did Tranmere do that? I'm not too sure. I know uh, Bury used to and Oldham and Rochdale used to. But um, So, yeah, I've been going 22-something years, and I don't really have a sporting background like Jim or, or Deck in terms of on that side, but I just thought I'd introduce myself anyway. Excellent. And just a really uh, brief background on me. So I'm currently a primary school teacher. Um, I'm also PE lead at my school. So we're a, a two-form entry. Um, we've got just shy of 400 children on um, on count. So I'm obviously responsible for the delivery um, of, of PE at, across the board. So going from, as you were saying before, Jimmy, uh, the ages of five right the way up to 11 and making sure then that we've got that kind of love for sport going into secondary school, which is really important. Um, that's one of the main drop-offs um, um, at the minute in terms of participation that when children generally go to secondary school, although there's a lot more on offer, they kind of drop out quite quickly and, and that's obviously not what we want. Um, obviously prior to me starting to teach, 
Um, I did a, an undergrad um, degree at Liverpool John Moores, which is where I met Bethan. Um, I, I went along the, the kind of inclusive sport, so a lot of kind of disability sport, looking at different kind of groups within society and trying to target them with different interventions and looking at the funding and, and how the government were kind of backing or not backing that. Um, and at the time that we were both at university and on the sporting degree, we were just on the back end of the um, 2012 Olympics. So everything was really fresh and there was all these ideas coming out of where funding was going to come from and how we were going to create this legacy, which in all honesty, kind of going through the degree we could see how it should work and then from from my perspective certainly from the teaching standpoint that there was never really a follow-through on that um, and for me that's something that has to change now for um, obviously the success of the Lionesses um, earlier on in the week so I'll pass you over to Bethan um, she's going to talk a little bit just about her kind of hopefully um, background in terms of um, sport participation maybe from kind of like a younger age and how she's worked her way up to, to where she is now so all three of us are very much all is over to you thank you Dick um, yep yeah, so I started playing football um, well since I can remember um, I've always had a ball at my feet um, not long ago found a video of me when I was five years old in the back garden um, you know, kicking a ball against the fence and my dad shouting at me. Um, that kind of always came from me, you know, no older siblings, parents that wanted to play and it was always something that I wanted to, to do and, and played at primary school. I was, you know, really fortunate to get the opportunity, not through PE, um, but to play with the boys kind of extracurricular after school activity. Um, and I played in, in boys football teams in the community now. I'm actually from across the border, so just, just over the border into, into Wales um, in Flintshire. Um, and at the age of 10, I was told, you know, you, you can no longer play with the boys. Um, there's, there's no pathway there. You know, there's no mixed, mixed football after the age of 10, um, which for me was a huge, a huge barrier because all of my friends, I played with them in school. Um, and then I was being told, you know, that's got to end for you now. Um, and that's really, I think, where my drive for what I've done and what I've achieved today has really come from. Um, so off the back of that, I joined a local girls team. Um, I didn't know anybody, you know, all of my friends from school that were girls weren't interested in football. So I was kind of thrown into this team of girls that I'd never met before, um, going from a very comfortable environment. Um, and luckily enough, um, got straight in with them, was really comfortable after after a few months and after a couple of years of, of playing in that grassroots team was picked up um, by Wales at the age of 13 um, and started playing for, for the Welsh under-17 squad. Um, at that point, I think I was playing either 7v7 or 9v9 on, um, you know, very much part pitches with potholes and things like that um, and was very quickly told that I needed to go and find an 11v11 team. And that was when I moved across to Tramia Rovers. And, I, you know, I was at Tramia from the age of 14. Fantastic setup, centre of excellence. Um, and really flourished in that environment and played for Wales up until the age of 19. Went to university, Deck, um, and I know you've touched on it around um, looking at participation. And my sole reason for, for going to university was to was just so that I could talk about girls' football all day, every day. You know, that's all my interest was, ever was, and, you know, still continues to this day. 
um, was really lucky to kind of you know be able to follow that path through university and and when I then graduated started um, my role at the Staffordshire Football Association as football development officer for women and girls um, again really fitting in terms of what what I wanted to achieve and was there for six seven years um, I did have a major knockback at that point in my playing career um, I did rupture my ACL and was out for three years um, so in that time I became a coach, I became a referee and gave back to the female game that had given so much to myself um, alongside working at the Staffordshire Football Association. Um, after six, seven years there, I, I mean, I, while I was there, I started playing um, for um, a club called Sporting Calcer. Um, very much a community-based club that play in the FA Women's National League. Um, so a, a very, a very good standard. Um, and then upped and left and moved as I changed jobs and um, my current role um, and the role I've been in now for almost a year and a half is at the FAW and I'm the girls participation so the national girls participation and engagement manager and very much focusing at developing the the girls game on a, on a national level and providing more opportunity to girls which of course meant that as I came back up north I was able to move back to the club that you know had given me so much opportunity over the years um, in Tramia Rovers and I've been back playing there now for for just over a, a year and absolutely loving it um, but yeah I think my, my drive for the female game came from a very early age and having those setbacks and barriers that I know many girls or females of my age have faced um, and now we're starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel a little bit um, and I know we're going to go on to discuss a little bit more about the Euros and the impact and the legacy um, but very interesting what you de you said Deck around um, schools and um, I don't know if you saw it today but what the Lionesses have shared around the legacy of the Euros and trying to get football in, in all schools in England moving forward um, and it's really important that that legacy continues to allow girls those opportunities um, so it'll be interesting to see what happens next. Absolutely. Um, one thing that kind of came across there to me, just obviously listening to, to your um, background, Beth, and, and I'm sure it has to, to the rest of the panel here, your kind of passion and drive for the women's game and for the girls' game is, is you know, a, a shining light and an example as to what everybody, whether you're involved within, you know, football or any other sport, that's that's the kind of mantra and the approach that we should all have. Um, and I think if that was the case across the board at all levels, going from the very elite right the way down, we'd have a completely different um, pyramid, certainly within football um, across across the country at all levels, different abilities, um, genders, etc. Um, so it's fantastic to, to kind of hear. And even though there's been different kind of setbacks, obviously, um, as you were saying there about coming out of school and not being able to play because... Um, obviously rules at that time were specifying different age groups and genders and so on couldn't mix and then obviously um, you know going to university and then having the injuries and the setbacks and that kind of thing I think that just kind of shows the, the strength and character that you have as an individual and um, there what you, what you were saying about you know even when you were injured you were still wanting to give back in as many different ways as you possibly could um, it's just fan fantastic to hear and it's also really really good to hear um, I know obviously um, Tramir is a club of, I've given you given their kind of blessing for you to be on this evening um, and I, I think it's it's very very clear why you, you speak so highly of the club as well and um, I was obviously speaking to, to Jimmy and Greg a little bit earlier about the club's kind of legacy in, in you know producing top quality um, England internationals and players who've, who've gone on to achieve some fantastic things within the women's game um, and, and long may that continue I know obviously 
at one stage, Tranmere were right at that kind of top division. It was before the Women's Super League had even become a thing, but they were playing with the likes of Arsenal and so on. Um, just a, a quick question from me. Obviously, we'll go down the, the route of the Euros and so on, but in terms of Tranmere women's, what kind of level are they now playing at um, in terms of divisions? Yeah, absolutely, Dex. So you're 100% right. Um, going back, you know, a few years, you know, we've still got some of those players that are still in our squads that played against the likes of Rachel Yankee, Rachel Unit, um, some of those big names that are now, you know, doing the punditry, doing the commentary, um, and they're still at the club, and that's a credit to the club itself in being able to retain those players. Um, we currently, um, we play at Tier 5, um, and that, for me, is due to, you know, we need more support, um, and I think the... The Euros have been a fine example of that in terms of build it and they will come. Um, it's a platform and people having more interest in the female game supports us as players. Um, we're very much, you know, we're not elite, we're not professional. We still pay our subs to play like any other team. Um, you know, we don't get paid to play. So we are really relying on things like sponsorships. You know, there is sponsorship opportunities to support us as a club currently. Um, getting people to come and watch our games. Our games are free to come and watch. Um, you know, so the the kids in, in local schools or um, the Tramia Rover supporters that are there week in, week out, we play on a Sunday. And there's there's no reason why, you know, we can't try and build um, build on the base that we've got because we've got, a, a, you know, a great network of players and players that really can achieve. Um, but we need more backing Um and more backing from people that maybe aren't interested in female football, but hopefully off, off the back of the Euros, you know, really want to look at how they can support in many different ways, whether that's, you know, businesses, individuals, families that want to, you know, come in and see what's actually out there and what's available for for girls growing up. You know, we've got a pathway from under eights all the way through. Um and it's a shining light. And, and they did. I don't know if they still do, but they offered, you know, walking football for elderly women as well. So the pathway's there for anybody that wants to participate. You know, I'm sure you're already aware that it's a massive community club. Um, and there, there is opportunity there. It's just really recognising that and, and supporting that to to enable us to, to flourish and be back really where we deserve to be. Just just go to show how lucky we are in the world to have such a fantastic community club. And we, we owe that from the very top right the way down through to everyone involved and um, all facets of the club really because I mean personally I didn't realise it was free to go and watch it I'm definitely coming down now um, that's amazing I was going to come anyway but that's fantastic um, you know it's uh, all I can say is get out there come and watch you know not just Tramier Rovers ladies or you, you see a lot now watch your local WSL team by all means do go watch your local team whoever they are whatever level they are in the women's game they all need support up and down the country. Not that this podcast necessarily reaches up and down the country. It may do. Who knows? But um, go and support your local women's team. That's all I want to say on that one because that is, yeah, it, it's it's growing and it's it's gonna be huge. So let's let's get out there and do it on, on a Sunday or whatever day. Yeah, I've got a really good feeling. Um, you know, obviously Tranmere is a club in terms of their their women's side and also um, some other you know kind of in inverted commas, smaller clubs like ourselves. I think that's where we're going to see the biggest change or certainly should see the biggest change. Uh, you kind of big clubs, your cities, your Chelsea's and so on, they seem to have 
a fan base already in place and an infrastructure, obviously because of the amount of funding that is already at that level. Does that need to get bigger? Of course it does. Um, we, we know that from obviously the men's name, the bigger the Premier League is, the, the more interest we then kind of, or should see, kind of filter down the pyramid. So of course that, that still needs to um, increase in, in that kind of elite sense. But at Rovers level, whereby, as you were saying, the fifth division, I think you were saying before, Bethan, um, you know, have we got the, the capacity to get promoted to the fourth or the third division? More than likely. I don't know an awful lot about the, the differences in the divisions. Um, Bethan's nodding there on screen, so I'm going to say I'm gonna say third division. Oh, let's let's push for second. Um, but the, there's no reason why that can't happen. We're going up this season. Yeah, yeah, we're going up, back to back. Um, but the, there's no reason why that can't happen. Um, and I think one thing that I found really interesting, um, I obviously followed the, the Tranmere Ladies um, Twitter account and the number of interactions between um, fans and so on on there, even just over the last week, there was actually a, an interesting suggestion um, on there. And again, I don't know the feasibility of it. I don't know whether it's something that could happen. Um, there were a number of fans who were asking whether the women's fixtures, if they had a home fixture, could be played immediately after. So if Tramia had, if the men's team had a game, say three o'clock on a Saturday, could the women's team then kick off, say at half five? Now, if you've got a crowd there of let's say seven thousand, eight thousand on a on a good day, on a very good day. Um, you know, if you're holding a thousand, fifteen hundred of those back and you don't want to run of a couple of decent results and then you're getting two thousand three that's where your momentum's gonna build. Um and I, you know, I, I don't know the ins and outs, and I'm sure even Bethan as, as a player, that's probably way above your kind of pay grade and level as well. But it's certainly an interesting perspective, and for me, it's it's really good to see not just that being um, suggested by fans, but the fact that they're wanting to come and support. Um, I've just drawn up there as well of the forthcoming fixtures, so I think before we finish, we'll we'll make sure that we get those um, out there, so that if the if anyone does listen to this, um, apart from ourselves, that we can hopefully kind of. Um, bolster the attendances a little bit Jimmy I think a model to go with would be looking at the cricket with the 100 um, where they have the women's game on and the men's game on you know they play the same fixtures if you will I mean obviously it can't quite correlate between you know the Tramier Rovers men's fixture and the Tramier Rovers women's fixture but I think it's doable certainly with regards to playing whether it's before the game or after the game you know it depends on when it's feasible in terms of the, you know what what's the grounds I'm going to say about it the changing rooms having a change round, making sure it's all cleaned and everything. I think, absolutely, I mean, I'd happily stay, you know, for, you know, a couple of hours after, definitely, to watch the women's game if it was to go on after the after the men's and so on. So I think that's a great idea, and I'm glad the club are, are mooting it about, and it's certainly one that can be, can, be, can be used not just by Rovers, but I'm sure by plenty of other clubs, you know. Yeah, and I think as a, a club, we're very open to, um, you know, ideas and, and whatnot, and I'm not afraid or scared to be that club that kind of stands up and changes things and, and does things um, to kind of set the trend so hopefully you know we've got the backing of, of really good owners who have a, a very very good understanding and certainly have the finger on the pulse in terms of what's needed and they certainly look ahead rather than just dealing with what's immediately in front of them so um, hopefully as a club we we will see um, big big changes and you know a, a, a kind of change in direction obviously for the women's team as you're saying Beth and the team that Obviously, he's currently there. Um, certainly has more potential if it's given that back, in which I'm, I'm confident it will be. And it's just about getting bums on seats or you know feet at the side of the terraces um, and, and, and backing it, really. Um, Jimmy, you've got... Yeah, can I ask, Bethan, um, moving away from the club game a bit to the international side, I noticed you've got your Wales jersey on there. 
um, you say you're over the board and that. Um, what's your experience of representing Wales then for in the women's game? We're talking, you know, over 10 years now. So I'm sure it's, you know, it's changed. The opportunities we got, though, as um, we were kids, you know, 16, 17, 18 years old, being able to go to countries like, you know, we played against France, we played against um, Holland, Portugal, Belgium, you know, real top, top teams um, played in the UEFA, UEFA Championships. Um Amazing experiences, things that you you look back on, and you know things you hold with you, you know for 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 life, um, and you know the infrastructures that are in place are you know second to none when you when you're looking at an international level, whether that's you know Wales or you know some of the the bigger ranked um, countries, um, you know the, there's no there's no fault in the any of the setups and the experiences that then you carry with you. Um, and being able to know, say that you've played against some of these top players now is, you know, somewhere just to carry around with you and drop in every now and then, isn't it? Well, that's it. I mean, I can't imagine what it's like to represent your country at anything. It must be such a huge honour, such a sense of pride, you know. Um, but the, where that, I mean, feel free to name drop. Were there any players that maybe featured the Euros that you would have come up against? Or is it that long ago that you don't remember? Or Yeah, yeah. So I played against um, Nikita Paris, um, Alex Greenwood... Um, trying to think who else in that England team um, would have been. I know there was Danielle Carter, but she wasn't at the Euros this time. Um, so yeah, very much my age group. Um, but yeah, it, it's great to be able to you know be at Wembley in front of 80, 87 fans and go, oh, yeah, I played against her. <laughs> yeah, you, you've just played against European champions. No big deal. <laughs> That's you know, wow. That that is that is amazing. That is definitely a first for this podcast. We've got somebody who's played internet, well, played football for starters. Because let's face it, we just get our mates on normally. Um, not that you're not. We don't consider you a friend now. We had a whole episode on Les Parry's shorts. <laughs> <laughs> That's how professional we are. We apologise to everyone at Tramia Rovers um, for that. But yeah, um, no, to actually have somebody not only who's just played the game, because let's put it this way, we could put all our legs together as lads and we'd be absolutely hopeless as a footballer still. So to have someone with your ex- experience and knowledge and to play the level you've done is absolutely massive for us. And it's amazing to hear that, you know, you've had this experience, especially on a week where it's been so huge for the women's game and, and certainly in this country. Can, can I just ask, though, I know you were there, um, obviously on the day and everything else, if it had been the men's game, and if England were to win the Men's World Cup, I don't think many Welsh people would be very happy about that. What uh, What was your actual thought regarding that? Was it the same rivalry, or was it a case of, oh, you know what, it's good for the UK? Yeah, so so for me working in, in women's football um, and being a part of women's football as a whole, um, all you want is the best for the game. Um, so no matter which countries were involved in the final, whether England were there or not, I'd already bought tickets a year and a half ago to the final and I was going um, and I was supporting the game um, because of the legacy, because the game was, you know, three hours down the road. It's not the other side of Europe. Um, it's accessible to so many girls to see. Uh, there's a, a phrase that we use constantly i've been on i've been on a works meeting this evening and it's one of the big things that's put up big on a presentation if you can see it you can be it um and a lot of girls haven't had the opportunity to see it so how can you be something that you can't see and you can't relate to you don't know that the opportunities are there and um, 
So having a game of that calibre anyway at Wembley is huge. Um, so either way, I was going to be there. But was I supporting the Lionesses? Yes, absolutely. Because why would you not want a home nation to you know succeed and achieve? And also from a, a selfish perspective, um, even over in Wales, we're still going to see the benefits of that win. So yeah, no, that, that's really good to hear. Just kind of um, linking on from that, really, in terms of your. Um job now working with the, the Welsh FA and obviously looking at participation and so on. Um, I know from kind of a teacher and from a, an education standpoint that there are changes that need to be made at top level, talking national curriculum and, and, and so on and so forth, in order to ensure that the legacy of what has happened over the last seven days hits home and doesn't just, it's not a, a kind of flash in the pan and it's not one of these things that, you know, you must change everything that you do and deliver this etc etc and then in six months time it's forgotten about there has to be kind of big changes in terms of obviously the, the curriculum in terms of um you know expectations for delivery not necessarily with football I wouldn't I wouldn't say I think it is just that ensuring that kind of equal participation and equal delivery which in fairness does happen but ensuring that that is then lifelong and that that's the tricky bit that's the kind of the difficult bit for for all of us really within within the sport and um community anyone who works and I'm sure you'll you'll know yourself Bethan and obviously Jimmy obviously you coach but the children who are there are there because they want to be there if that makes sense even at such a young age the amount of kind of <coughs> pushy parents if you like I would expect would be fairly minimal that the children are almost that you know that that going to football on a Sunday morning is like the dangling carrot to get them to put the uniform on on a Tuesday morning um but for me things like uh, we spoke a little bit before the episode that you know those kind of archaic things of, right, there's a, for example, a year six football match, um, it's mixed gender and you must have a minimum of two girls in the squad. For me, that has to stop. It should just be, right, it's it's a mixed team. Don't put numbers on it, don't put, because then it's that kind of, right, well, I'm, I'm doing that because I'm ticking a box. Um you know, things like that that have been around since, you know, the dinosaurs walked the earth. There's a lot of things in there that, that do need to just change for, for the better. Um, and, it, you know, as as practitioners, we we do do that anyway. You know, you kind of read between the lines and you make sure that you're giving everyone that kind of equal platform and, and equal numbers of opportunities. I certainly saw, and whether it's just a complete coincidence or whether it was kind of a, a prelim building up to, um, obviously, the Euros this year, um, as a school, we obviously get invited to attend, you know, tournaments and things being put on by, um, you know, the, the local school games uh, coordinators and so on. Um, but I saw a massive increase in the number of football tournaments, specifically for girls. Um, and I will kind of name drop here a little bit, which will please Jimmy. Um, Everton in the community were fantastic at that. We got a number of invites as well from Tramia, and it's fantastic to see that the local clubs. I've almost taken that initiative to kind of, um, what's the word I'm looking for, kind of preempt what should happen on the back of the Euros. No one was kind of um, expecting the England women's side to do as well as they were. Maybe they were, but it, you know, it, it was just a, a matter of fact of we're hosting it and the legacy has to be there. Um, so from your perspective, Bethan, what would you kind of want in your role, um, obviously, a as a player, um, in terms of you know whether it be you know a, a better pitch facilities, whatever number of people coming and watching, etc., and also then from the kind of mass participation side to the more kind of inclusive um, 
standpoint rather than the elite standpoint what what would you want to see kind of change and start to filter down over the coming months and years um obviously on the back end of the tournament probably ask me the worst question you could ask me because i could go on and on and on and i'll try and keep it as short as possible because um i can go on a tangent um but yeah it has to start in schools um school football shouldn't be competitive um it should be developmental um every child in school should be given the opportunity whether that opportunity isn't taken that's up to the child um but whether that's a, a male or a female um they should be given an equal opportunity to participate no matter what no matter what sport that is that's not just me coming from a football standpoint um i know the fa have done it for a number of years when i was i was working over there um and over the border in wales we're now delivering on the uefa disney playmakers um which targets girls age five to eight um girls only opportunity to play football but very much in a fun um through storytelling through disney they don't know they're playing football but they're working on so many different skills whether that's life skills fundamentals um they're just having a good time and that's what football of that age should be about whether that's boys or girls and it's not about parents shouting at the side of the pitches it's about kids with smiles on their faces having fun and and that should be the same all the way through primary school ages and from you then obviously that goes through secondary school and there's loads of sustainability stuff to ensure that the um, infrastructures are right to keep people in the game again male and female it doesn't change too much and we've just worked on a piece um, at the FAW around creating environments for her um, and there's a resource pack that very much talks about making sure and ensuring that your club cultures and your facilities are inclusive for females and having difficult discussions around things like sanitary bins changing rooms with locks and all these things that people don't consider um, but could put off a female from playing football Um, and that's of any age Um, you know girls having the confidence especially at teenage ages when they're you know they're conscious of body image they're conscious of a number of different things especially after lockdown when they've been locked up for a number of a number of years a couple of years and then they're thrown back into the big bad world where they haven't socialized properly um, and then we're asking them to go and play in these mass participation tournaments where there's no toilets with locks on there's no sanitary bins um and there's lots of little things to consider um i mean from a playing perspective i've always been very lucky um, to play on you know good pitches with good infrastructure at, at good clubs um, but it's about ensuring that that is across the board so for any female that plays football whether that is so we created a program when I was at Staffordshire FA called Mums Play Football and that was for, for ladies of open age that had never kicked the ball before but had supported the game and they were the lost generation they were the missed generation football had been banned they weren't given an opportunity um, so whether you're that five-year-old that's turning up to your first session or whether you're a 50-year-old that's turning up to your first session, the infrastructures have to be right. That welcome has to be right. Um, because if you put somebody off that first session, then they're not going to come back. Um, and for me, it's just about providing equal opportunities, but that cater for all needs. Um, because it has to be based on ability and ensuring that there's opportunity for everybody out there. Um I have probably gone on that tangent that I said I was going to try and avoid. Um, But yeah, for me, it's just about providing opportunities and making sure that actually the little things that mean probably the most to females are considered across the board. There was um, an an image um, that was shared. I can't remember which newspaper it was. I think it was The Telegraph. It was a quote from Beth Mead. 
um, and it was around the England kit. Um, now, obviously, they played in an all-white kit. Um, looks very, very smart. However, for a female, it's not always practical um, during the menstrual cycle. Um, and it's things that aren't considered considered maybe by people that are making these decisions higher up. Um, and it's things, you know, it's just about hearing the women's, the woman's voice and ensuring that all things are taken into consideration. Yeah, you've, you've hit the nail on the head. Um, I think it's, one, it's being very open and honest in terms of what is needed. Two, it's being very thorough, isn't it, in terms of, you know, looking at it from all angles, your age ranges and obviously your individual needs um, kind of at that level. And three, it's just, as you're saying there, it's it's about making it an attractive proposition. You can throw as much money at something as you want, but if you're not getting the participation or the, you know, the, the you know, people through the door if you like it's just not going to work it's not sustainable um and i think we've kind of learned that in a roundabout way in in certain ways from the men's game that money has been thrown at things um you know different kind of um ideas concepts tournaments etc that just haven't caught on um and i think I was saying this a little bit before the podcast as well that so many mistakes have been made. One of the you know the major ones was um, you know obviously when women were told by the FA that they could not play. Um, you know it's a, absolutely shocking when you look back at it now. Um, and you know got so many different things that have, you know have happened in the past and history is all about learning from it, isn't it? If you don't learn from history, then what's the point in it? Um, if you learn from your mistakes and you, you move forward and so on, which hopefully is what we've done now, we've turned a big big corner. Um, but we were saying kind of before the pod that all of those mistakes that have been made either within the men's game or um, you know within other sport and disciplines whether it be male female etc that the female game now is that kind of um, what's the word I'm looking for it's it's at that point where it could go one of two ways and that's really really exciting and I think having people like yourself Beth and working within the game and obviously the FA um, you know across the border in Wales and, and here in England have definitely got the finger on the pulse in terms of what's going on and it's about tapping into you know obviously the knowledge of people like you who have played continue to play and also look at it from that kind of participation side to ensure that those mistakes that have happened in the past don't continue to happen. And it's almost wiping that slate clean and trying to go in, go in afresh, really. Um, Jimmy, you've got your hand up like a, a naughty schoolboy in the corner there. <laughs> well, I am, I am a naughty schoolboy in the corner, as you well know. No, I just think going back to what you said about um, the ban on women's football, obviously it was absolutely abhorrent. Um, but also that it was due to, I mean, forgive my lack of education here, down to the fact the attendances in women's football were doing really, really well. I think there was games at Wembley and at Goodison Park that sold out. You know what? Really forgive my lack of education. There was a women's football that was unbelievable during the wartime in the 50s. I'm sure somebody will Google it. Um, other search engines are available. Um, but we had a really good thing going women's football. And almost like the men's FA, the men in blazers, if you will, the stuffy old cronies at the FA. Not that they are now. Um, you know, times have moved on thought oh we can't be having that and it's like well why not it was really popular and i just i'm really glad to see that we are finally as a nation and as a as a general sport looking to right some really 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 bad wrongs that went on for many many years and did set back the game i think the game as a whole it's set back i think if you look at 
obviously I'm not a father, but if I had a child, I'd rather take him, whether son or daughter. I'd rather take him to a women's game at the moment, because the atmosphere, you noticed the other night, the German anthem wasn't booed, it was a wholesome atmosphere. Um, the fact that Beckham can go support England, you know, and have a good time, whereas you'd, you'd always get some at the men's game. We've been to enough matches, lads, and there was always one, and, and Beckham included, you know, in the men's side of the game, where there's always somebody there that's going to be an idiot. There's always someone that's going to cause trouble. And you get the feeling that it's far, it's too, it's gone too tribal the way in the men's game at times. We're off the field issues. You look at obviously the behaviour of fans at Wembley, you know, for the England Italy final. Some fans, I should say, not all. Um, compare that to the the real refreshing pleasantness that surrounded the final on Sunday, and and of just the whole tournament. There was a celebration of all things that we love about football, love about community, love about inclusivity. And um, the attitude towards it was absolutely wonderful. And I think it, that ban has set back societal attitudes towards football in general, but certainly towards women's football in some cases, many decades. And I'm just so glad we're coming out of it now. And like I say, it's, it's women's football in many ways is what the men's game should be. It's, it's learning from mistakes in terms of it's still very grassroots. It's still the working person's game still, um, quite literally. You know, and it's 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 just really great to see it take off the way that, like I say, should have done many many years ago, and was taken off. Yeah, I think again you've hit the nail on the head there, Jimmy, and I'm conscious that I've done it the whole way through the post, uh, podcast, referring to men's football and women's football, because at the end of the day, it is a game. I mean, we come back to our our podcast title; it's only a game, and it is it is only a game. It doesn't matter who's playing, it doesn't matter at what level, it doesn't matter who you are, what you are. Um, you know what you identify as, whether you're tall, short, fast, slow. It does not matter. It's there and it's accessible for every single person to play. And I think, and a, a kind of another standpoint to look at, going back to what you were saying there about, um, obviously experiences ago and watching men play football, and not every experience has been negative by any means. But I think what's really, really important now is the number of crossovers that we're starting to see, the number of women who are involved within the elite and within the kind of participation levels um, within, you know, matches that involve men. And also now kind of starting to see a a little bit of a slow crossover, but it is happening with the number of males now starting to be involved within the female game. And I think the more that happens as well, taking the players aside and you're looking at your number of managers, physios, uh, nutritionists, etc. You know, you're behind the scenes a lot, you know, your social media, um, you know, your people doing your interviews, photographers, whatever it'll be. I think the more we can see of that, the, the kind of wall, the imaginary wall that's kind of been built up between men playing a game and women playing a game is kind of being taken down brick by brick, brick by brick. And that, that for me is really, really important. Um, and hopefully, obviously, the, the legacy now of the Euros and the success of the, of the, the Lionesses will hopefully kind of aid bringing that wall down um, a little bit quicker because it, it does it does just need to go. Yeah, just on that as well, I think, I remember every game I watched at the Euros this summer, it was great to see so many male fans in the crowd. A few years ago, you won the scene, it would have been, it would have been, I remember thinking England played Scotland at Tramia a few years back, and I think it was all just women and children in the crowd. Not that there's anything wrong with that, of course, but you'd like to see everyone feel that they were able to go, whereas it'd be a very male attitude of, oh, I'm not going to go and watch that, or, you know, that kind of macho kind of bravado thing, whereas now it's a lot more like, you know what, yeah, let's go and support them. And it just became, I'm just going to go and watch the football, which is what it should be. It shouldn't be, I'm going to go watch the women's football or I'm going to watch the men's football. I'm just like, you know, like with tennis, you just go and watch the tennis. 
you don't specify the gender because it doesn't make a difference. You know, just going to go watch the football. That's how it's. That's how I hope it's going to be, in as part of the legacy of not just England winning the Euros, but as the tournament as a whole with the attendances the way they've been, and hopefully as well with the upcoming World Cup as well. In you will correct me on this one, Beth, and I'm sure 2023 there's Women's World Cup. I can't be sure on that one. The last one was 2019. Um. Couldn't tell you where it's taking place, unfortunately, but I will learn. Um, so my apologies. But yeah, I just hope that that continues to be. Just, it just becomes more usualized that the two, you know, the two sports are seen as one sport, like it is with tennis, like it is with now cricket as well, and and rugby league is starting to do it more. Kind of leading on to from that as well, Jimmy. I I went and watched um the the lionesses play, and I cannot for the life of me remember who it was that they played against. Um, at Prenton Park, it was about. About five, six years ago now, I'm going to say. Um, whoever it was, they absolutely wiped the floor with them. Um, I'm tempted to say it was about a six or seven nil result. Um, and in the crowd that day, and it, it wasn't one of those events where it was kind of just, you know, dishing tickets out to whoever um, would come. I think at that point, we were well and truly past kind of getting bums on seats and the number of children that were there, um, boys and girls, and that was just fantastic to see. Um, and I, I kind of wonder now, obviously, I know that the Lionesses have got at that elite end of the game again, the World Cup qualifiers and so on. But you do wonder now between, um, you know, friendlies and whatnot, whether they will start to circulate around the grounds again um, in a similar fashion, obviously, as the Euros tournament forced them to, you know, playing at Sheffield United's ground and so on. Um, and it, again, going back to, to Tramier as well, they were one of the few clubs um, who kind of said, yeah, we will host the games because I know that there were a lot of, you know, again, in inverted commas, your big, big clubs who said no to it. And that's not going back a long time at all. That's going back sort of five or six years ago and they, they just were not prepared to host games. Um, so it'll be really interesting to see whether there's a change in that perspective, uh, kind of um, perspective now, obviously looking at the, the success and so on and so forth. Um of of the side, um, I know Greg. You've had a few difficulties, um, technical difficulties. Greg hasn't fallen asleep. He has kind of been with us uh, and not with us. Um, if you can give us a nod, Greg, if you're all right to talk. I don't know whether you've got any kind of questions or anything for Beth. And now there is a chance that we could duplicate something here because obviously you've not heard everything that's been going on. But just a chance to hear from you, Greg. Basically, I just, I just wanted to know about the atmosphere at Wembley actually at the weekend. Um, one of my friends, he took his daughter and he said that uh, they they bought the tickets a few months ago not knowing who would be in the final. And I think he said that his ticket was £22 and I can't remember what his daughter's ticket were. But then he said that one of his friends uh, tried to get tickets as soon as they found out that England were in the final and they were £140, like uh, obviously before before that. Um, <clears throat> was there anything that particularly stood out about the atmosphere on at the weekend, was there anything that it was, that was, was it tense? Was it excited? Was, was there all type of emotions, which I'm assuming there would be in any final anyway? Yeah, so, I mean, yeah, being there was, I was always expecting it to be a good day out. Um, but yeah, obviously with England being in the final, um, it was it was huge. Um, for, for me personally, I, I bought my ticket over a year ago, as I, I said before, that I was going to that final whoever was playing because I'm there to support women's football as a whole. Um, but yeah, the atmosphere and the, the diversity of the crowd was incredible. Um, people of all different ages, people of all different backgrounds. Um, and just to kind of see the uproar and 
the interest in the game. They weren't just there because it was a day out. They were there because they wanted to watch the game and they wanted you know, England to do well and they were there as supporters. Um, which has lacked over over you know not recent years but um, previous years, um, so yeah and and, and it does it, it it compares you know massively to to where we've been and that journey that we've been on in terms of building the female game over over recent years and it's just amazing to be able to celebrate that and also for for those those women that went out and performed as well under that pressure that they're not used to they're not used to playing in front of 87,000 fans and to be able to go and do that on the day you know um absolute credit to them and they're paving the way now for so many young girls to go and achieve um and that's that's the main thing for me that comes out of it i can watch all type of football I watch under 21s I could watch anybody really but like my girlfriend doesn't really watch any football but she was really invested in it when she was sat watching with me I don't it's like they're all very likeable players when you when you see them interviewing interviewed before the game and after the game you can sort of associate with them all a little bit and everybody at my office especially we're all saying oh she's from my town she's one of my uncles knows her such a body and it's you've got like a bit more of a connection sometimes. Um, I know uh, Kira Walsh is from from Rochdale, and everybody like Twitter just blew up on the on the Rochdale front of she's from Rochdale, and everyone were like rooting for her and things like that. But you felt like more of a connection a little bit, um, and and I don't I don't know where how, but it just seemed organic in some respects because of the sort of that's from my she's from my hometown. Somebody's uncle knows this such a body in the team or the physio or something like that but it felt it was really good to just be just rooting for them and then it was just such a organic thing really to they're not they are superstars now obviously but when you look at it from a different perspective it's just it was mind-blowing it was just so so you rooted for them even more in some respects um, I'm, not, I'm not too sure if Deck and Jimmy are still on this feed because mine's froze now <laughs> yeah still a drag um, I think okay. Yeah, no, what you were saying there is really interesting as well. That's kind of hit home a little bit for me there that we, obviously, the, the three of us, I know, Jimmy, you, you're an uh, Everton supporter as well. But I think one thing that makes supporting a lower league club very, very special is that kind of rapport that you have with the players and with the club and that kind of relationship. And I think what you're kind of alluding to there is that although all of the members of the England women's team have now, you know, they've put the name up there forever as, as kind of sporting uh, greats, and rightly so. But that squad had something that was kind of relatable for every single person. Now, whether it's that kind of very clever kind of drip-feeding things on social media and so on, so that they're constantly in people's kind of um, eyeline in a, in a fun and approachable manner, whether it's that that's kind of subconsciously got people um, really interested whether it is just, as you were saying, when the players being interviewed and so on, that they are so, so grounded. Um, and although obviously they are being paid a wage and you know quite possibly quite a healthy wage, it's not at that kind of greedy level that the, that the, the men's game has now got to. And I think because of that, you know, the, the female players are being seen, rightly so, as superstars, but it's not at a level whereby they're untouchable. And I think that's kind of brought everybody around them as well. Um, 
you know, I've seen a number of interviews on things like this morning and so on, and the interviews are kind of a lot more relaxed. I just can't see if the if the men were successful in the the World Cup later on this year, if they went and won the World Cup, you know, you're not going to get Harry Kane sat on the couch this morning talking about, you know, that they went home and the whole of the estate were out celebrating and there was fireworks and stuff. That you know, it it's that kind of very fine line, isn't it, between being relatable and approachable and then that kind of professional side. And hand on heart, I feel that the, the Lionesses squad has that in abundance, that they are that kind of um, middle-of-the-road kind of approachable, but also very much um, kind of, of of an inspiration for, for the nation as well. Um, I don't know whether anyone's got anything that they want to kind of add on to that before we start to try and wrap up. Uh- a, a team, yeah, a team I want to give a shout out to at the Euro is actually in Northern Ireland. Um, it shouldn't be forgotten that they were largely part-time footballers, and they qualified for the first ever European Championships. There were players there coming over from the Northern Irish League that, you know, they weren't professional, of course, and they were making their own way over, own way over there, taking time off their own work to go and play in Southampton. And yeah, okay, now England beat them five 0 but to 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 be part-time amateur players and to go up against professionals at any level is always a massive thing. And I loved watching the Northern Irish fans in Southampton, the admiration they had for the Green and White Army, how much it meant to those girls to be representing their country on a major international stage when I think, you know, they must have played in front of probably less than 100 people and some of them in the club side. And it kind of, it brings me on to Beth and... uh, Hate to say at the moment, but Wales not yet qualified for a Euros. Um, obviously, with you, I'm not rubbing it in, I swear. But more that with you being involved with the pathway, do you see that coming in the future for, for Welsh women's football and major tournaments on the horizon? Yeah, no, ab- absolutely. You know, we're, we're striving towards that at the moment. Um, so we're halfway, just over halfway through our campaign for the World Cup qualifiers. Um, and there is a very good chance, um, you know, that we could qualify for for the World Cup. Um, we've, you know, focused very heavily on our um, domestic game as well and our domestic leagues in looking at making them more professional than they were before. Um, they're not professional at the current time, um, but trying to, you know, strive towards that. Um, so, yeah, we've got a couple more games left of the, the World Cup qualifiers. Um, you know, we're on track. Um, we're hopeful. So we've got a game against Slovenia on Tuesday the second of Tuesday the sixth, sorry, of September. Um and today we've just released that we have um surpassed our record attendance, um, which was five thousand and something, I believe. I can't remember the exact figure. Um and we've got five weeks to go still to sell tickets. Um, you know, and that's a credit to to the work that's going on, you know, across all four corners of, of the UK um, and the way in which female female football is going. Um, so, yes, fingers crossed we will qualify. Um, if it's not this time, you know, over the next couple of years, that is, you know, the aim of the, FA, um, the FAW to, to ensure that our, our females are provided with the right infrastructure, the right structures to be able to go out and flourish and, um, and qualify for a major tournament. Obviously, the recipe that the England side have, have used and, and that kind of um, everything that's gone on in the background as well as obviously the players, that's something that obviously the rest of the home nations 
I'm sure will be um, looking to kind of replicate. And there's no reason why they can't. You know, the talent pool is very, very similar. Um, I'm assuming, obviously, infrastructure-wise and, and kind of facility-wise will be very similar as well. So there's there's no reason why we can't have a, a really exciting few years of, of the kind of women's game coming through now um, within the home nation. So that's, that's really, really good to hear, obviously, that, the Welsh FA have got such high kind of aspirations and, and rightly so for the for the women's game across the border. No, definitely. I was going to just really sort of go on that point that we are quite unique in the, in the UK that we do have you know, four nations of the Republic really that all kind of feed into each other in terms of with funding and with everything else. And I think it's like we see with the men's game, you've got you know England playing Wales in, in the men's World Cup and the big story that is there, it's huge. You know, it'd be great for the women to be able to, to do that as well. And I think looking at what the FAW do, I'm, I mean, I'm always noticing all over social media, the amount of coaches the FAW are bringing through in the women's game now. There's coaches coming from over the border in England to do coaching training up in the north or down in Cardiff. And I think they're doing such a great job of, of developing a pathway for everybody in the country, which I think is wonderful. And yeah, fingers crossed for Wales, they get through to you know the next the World Cup as well. Ah, fantastic. Well, I think from there, Jimmy, um, we'll probably, if it's okay with everybody, um, start to try and wrap up. Um, I'd obviously like to extend a huge thanks to to Betham for coming on this evening Um, and also um, to, obviously, Tranmere as a a club and Tranmere ladies for allowing Betham to come on and kind of talk um, quite openly and quite freely, obviously, about your own experiences, Betham, but also, um, you know, the, the infrastructure and the current kind of plan there that, that Tramia have for the, the ladies' game, which I'm confident, as we've said, will will kind of go from strength to strength. Um, before we do go, um, I have got up on my phone um, the Tramia women's fixtures, the opening four fixtures of the season have been announced. So the season starts on the 21st of this month. You are playing AFC Darwin away. Um, then you are home to Mossley Hill on the 24th, away to West Didsbury, on the 31st and then away to crew. Now, Beth, and just before we, we kind of let you go, where do the where do the Tramia women's team play? Um, I know you said earlier on that obviously it's free entry and it would be great to get the numbers um, kind of through the turnstiles there, but if you could just give a little bit of a um, of, a, of an info chat there in terms of where, where we can come and watch. Yeah, absolutely. So all of our home, home games are played at Ellesmere Port Sports Village. Um, so just at the sports centre there are the pitches at the back um, so yeah it's free to anybody to just turn up and watch um, most home game fixtures um, kick off at 2 o'clock um, but obviously unless noted otherwise yeah it's 2 o'clock kick off on a Sunday all games are played on a Sunday home games are at Ellesmere Port Excellent Sports so hopefully um, we can get I know obviously um, this episode is going to be put out by uh, Tranmere Women's as well on Twitter but obviously as well from our own listeners as well if we can try and get a few more people turning up to watch that then, then that will be fantastic so um, the Tranmere Rovers Women and Girls Twitter um, account is at TRFC Women um, obviously you'll be able to see on our own social medias as well, Bethan's um, Twitter handle as well. So we'll put all of that kind of information as well at the um, the top of, of the episode when we when we share that as well. And hopefully we can we can get a few more people there along to, to support the women's team. Um, I'd just like again to say a, a huge thank you. Um, Greg's got his hand up, so I'll pass over to Greg in a second, but a huge thank Very you from me. Question. Oh, go on, Grant, go on, Greg. Did you say Darwin? Yeah, AFC Darwin. Yes, that's I, I live in Darwin. Yeah, so 
No excuse. I'm, I'm feeling like we all need a bit of a podcast day out to the uh, Darwin Tramia match now. Me and Shell will go. In Darwin? What date's that? Uh, you put me on the spot now. Give me a second. The date is the 21st. No pressure. No pressure, don't you know, 21st to 2 o'clock kickoff, And I did probably read that wrong because I've zoomed in on a very drainy screenshot. So That's fine. Yeah, but definitely the 21st. I live in Darwin. <laughs> I'm going to go to that. Yeah, we'll see you there. Fantastic. Away day. So yeah, um, a huge thank you again to Betham for obviously giving up her time. Um, we'll be following your progress, obviously, and the, the rest of the team's progress really closely um, throughout the season. And, it, you know, potentially to you know midpoint or towards the end of the season that we could have you back on. And again, just start to talk a little bit about the kind of hopefully the, the changes that we've seen within the girls and within the women's game. Um, so yeah, a, a huge thank you. Hopefully you um, all enjoy listening. We've not sent anyone to sleep. And as we said before, uh, we are here to listen. We're here to learn. Um, and that, that's exactly what everybody should now be, be doing. We should be welcoming this with open arms. Um, and yeah, I'll leave it there. Anyone else want to put something else in before we finish? No, no. Beth, and thank you so, so much. It's been really insightful. Um, we appreciate how busy you are with your various roles and things that you do, and obviously with your career and that. Um, if you ever, ever want to come back on, you are always more than welcome. It has been brilliant listening to you. Um, honestly, it's been quite a privilege to have a footballer on that's got such knowledge on the inside of the game. So huge for us really here at the podcast. So all I can say is thank you so much for taking time because I appreciate you just come off a work call. So, you could have easily just had a cup of tea and gone to bed, but you've actually sat down and had a chat with us, so that's really, really appreciated. Thank you very much. It's been really insightful. I've missed a bit of a chunk of it just because my internet's absolutely terrible. But yes, it's been absolutely brilliant. No, yeah, I just want to say, yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for the invite. Um, and yeah, anything we can do, you know, um, in terms of supporting or supporting conversations, um, you know, we're always here to help. So no, thank you. Thank you again. And yeah, look forward to maybe catching up in a few months. See you, darling. Podcast Network.